Our second scripture for today is from the first chapter of Mark, verses 9 through 15. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up, or come out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You, my son, the beloved, with you, I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beast, and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Here ends the reading of the scriptures for today, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The gospel writer Mark is what I call the action-packed gospel writer. What I mean by that is that he moved quickly from one action scene to another in the life and ministry of Jesus. For example, concerning Satan's temptations of Jesus, Mark only uses two verses, very few words, to describe the whole experience. Matthew uses 11 verses in his gospel to describe the temptations Jesus had to deal with concerning Satan. And Luke uses 13 verses. In other words, a whole lot more words, a whole lot more description than Mark uses. So Mark is brief, he's to the point, he doesn't comment much, he doesn't editorialize very much. Mark is basically saying, look, this is what happened to Jesus, this is what Jesus said, these are the conversations that Jesus had with others. Believe it or don't believe it, but this is my report. But I want to tell you in as few words as possible about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Mark's saying, here it is. Believe it or not, uh, but here it is. Now in chapter 1, verse B, verse 9, Mark, again, he very quickly describes three really important events in Jesus' life. His, Jesus' baptism, his temptation by Satan there in the wilderness, and Mark uh, explains the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Now, the sequence of these events is very significant. They're significant not only in understanding Jesus, but also in helping us understand our own relationship with God and also our living out of God's will for us. So Mark gives us the very surface, sketchy details of Jesus' baptism. Jesus comes to John the Baptist there at the Jordan River. John baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes out of the water. Three things happen when Jesus comes out of the water. The heavens are torn open. 
the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, and there's a voice from heaven saying, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. What we see in Jesus' baptism is not, is not so much Jesus coming to God the Father as much as we see God the Father and the Holy Spirit coming to Jesus. You know, many of us as Christians see baptism as our coming to God. But we need to understand our baptism as God coming to us. You see, as the Spirit lighted upon Jesus like a dove, God's love and grace and goodness lights upon us when we are baptized, when we are identified as members of his kingdom, when we say yes to him. He comes in his glory. Now note that in Jesus' baptism, it's described by what God the Father says, not by what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say anything. But it does record what God the Father says. Note also that the Holy Spirit came to Jesus from heaven, and Jesus simply stood there in the water after his baptism as the Holy Spirit lighted upon him as a dove. Now one reason we baptize children in the United Methodist Church is because baptism is not about our coming to God. It's about God coming to us. Again, whether we are children or adults. Baptism symbolizes, it sacramentalizes the fact that God's love, grace, and power are with us as children as well as, as adults. Now, as United Methodists, we very firmly believe that children must eventually confirm God's presence with them. They must confess their faith in God. They must be willing to live out their faith in God by joining the church and also, of course, living to God's glory day by day. So we, uh, we have children confirm what God is doing in their lives. But we must never forget as demonstrated with Jesus' baptism, that it is what God the Father and the Holy Spirit says and does in and with our baptism that's really more important than what we say or what we do. Now let's look at Jesus' temptations there in the desert by Satan. Again, Mark is very brief. He's very much to the point. He, he just gives us the bare details. He says the Holy Spirit, after Jesus' baptism, uh, drove Jesus, drives Jesus into the wilderness. Jesus is there for 40 days. He's tempted by Satan. He's with wild animals. And also, Mark tells us, that angels came to wait on him. It's important to understand that in the temptation of Jesus, God the Father is being tested by Satan, even as Jesus is being tempted. God the Father is being tested by Satan as Jesus is being tempted. The love, the grace, the goodness of God the Father given to Jesus and celebrated in his baptism was being tested. And the test question is this. What was being, being tested was this question. How real is it? How real was it? 
how real was the grace and empowerment Jesus received from his Father and was celebrated in his baptism. How true really were the words of God the Father about Jesus. You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. That was being tested. God the Father was being tested. His statement toward Jesus was being tested there in the desert. Note that in the other gospel accounts, not in Mark, but in the other gospel accounts, Jesus references all the temptations back to God the Father. People shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do not test the Lord your God. Worship and serve God alone. So Jesus references everything back to the Father. In a sense, when you are tempted to go Satan's way, the one being tested is not so much you, but God. Again, the question is being answered, is being challenged. How real is it? How real was it? How real is the grace, the power, and the love of God in you that is symbolized by your baptism? If it is real, then you, with God's help, can resist temptations. And when we resist Satan's temptations, when we go God's way and prove, and prove God's love and power and grace in our lives, we make God's kingdom real to those around us. Now after being baptized, after dealing with the challenges of Satan's temptations, Jesus began his public ministry. He announced to the people, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As he began his ministry, Jesus was saying that through his baptism and through the grace and power God given to him while he was tempted by Satan, he demonstrated that the kingdom of God is very real. Very, very real. Real in his life, real through his life to others. He was telling people that if they took the first baby steps towards God, if they begin to repent, if they begin to believe the good news about Jesus, that Jesus had for them, they too would have God the Father come to them with his grace, his love, and his power. And they themselves would realize how very real the kingdom of God is. Through God coming to us in our baptism, and through God's empowering presence when we are tempted by Satan to go against God's kingdom, we may say to the world the same things Jesus said when he was tempted. People shall, shall not live by bread alone, <clears throat> but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We can say to the world, that there is more to life than the material world we see and feel around us. Having a lot of bread, having a lot of material things does not guarantee the blessings of peace, of hope, of forgiveness, and of power to do what is right. Bread does not equal life. 
the word of the Lord from the mouth of the Lord does equal life, abundant life. With Jesus, we can say to the world, do not put God to the test. What if Jesus had jumped from the top of the temple when Satan tempted him? Jump from the top of the temple and the angels will come and rescue you. What if he had done that? Well, that would have been a great miracle for a man to jump from the top of the temple and not be harmed. And let's face it, we're looking for miracles, right? We're saying, oh God, give us miracles. We want miracles. But the problem with looking for miracles and praying for miracles is that our attitude can easily change from asking God for miracles to demanding God for miracles. We may develop the attitude, you better give me what I want, Lord, even if it's a miracle, or else, or else. That, that's the problem with miracles. Does God do miracles? Yes, I believe he does. But we should never come to the place where we're shaking our fist at God and demanding that he do something for us. You see, real miracles in life are real repentant people. People who are, have been truly impacted by Jesus Christ. People who truly believe the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, real miracles occur when there are real transformations of character. A miracle occurs when a man or a woman who has a, a reputation for being impatient becomes a patient person. That's a miracle. When one who talks so much and refuses to listen actually begins to listen to what others are saying to him or her, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. When someone chooses not to gossip anymore about others, but rather to say only those things that build up others and bless others, that's a miracle. When an unkind person begins to act kindly, that's a miracle. When someone who has been unwilling to be generous with his or her time, talents, and treasure, but begins to be generous, that's a miracle. We all know the Christmas Carol, right? The story of the Christmas Carol. Old Scrooge. Old Scrooge. What happened with Scrooge? He, he, he became a walking, talking miracle. Instead of being this ugly man who had no time for anybody but himself, he became kind, he became generous, he became loving, and he went to his grave well-loved with a great reputation. That's the story of the Christmas Carol. No real miracles in the Christmas Carols other than the real wonderful miracles of the transformation of character. With Jesus, we may say to the world, worship and serve God only. You see, Jesus was not motivated by Satan, by all that Satan offered him. Authority over all the kingdoms of the world, possession of all the splendor of all the kingdoms of the world. If only Jesus would have bowed down and worshiped Satan, he could have had it all. He could have had it all. Are we here 
to have authority over others? Is that our purpose in life? Is to have authority over as many people as we possibly can? Are we here to control others? Is that what life's about? Controlling others? One way or another? Are we here to possess as much of the splendor of the world as we can get? Is that what our lives are all about? Well, why are we here? Why are we here? We are here for the same reason Jesus came and lived on earth. We are here to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are here to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are here to be disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what life's about. That's what life's about. Your baptism is important. Your baptism is a gift from God, not your gift to God, but God's gift to you. The temptations you encounter day by day are important, not so much for you, for your reputation, as much as for God's reputation in the world. Your life is important not because of what you have or what you can do, but because you have the privilege of glorifying God by what you say and by what you do. We are here on earth to give the same message Jesus gave as he began his ministry as recorded in Mark. Repent, believe the good news of the kingdom of God. Amen.